Welcome to the New Life Podcast. Here we want you to experience the grace of God. So through this sermon, we hope to come alongside you as you grow in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about New Life, please visit our website at newlifeonline.org. Here's today's message. We're going through a series, as you know, uh, of what's called Supporting Cast. And really, it's about overlooked people in the Bible. And we've talked about people like uh, Barnabas and Ananias, Joseph of Arimathea, uh, Leah, uh, Achan, some of the people that we don't commonly know. We know about Moses and we know about Abraham. We know about all the big players. Uh, But there's some people we don't know a whole lot about. And they're very important because it's a premise of this whole series that success in the kingdom of God depends upon faithful people that many are unaware of. Uh, They're operating in the shadows, perhaps, behind the scenes. You know, for example, people volunteering with children. There can be no more uh, beneficial ministry than working with young children and teaching them about Jesus, teaching them about the ways of the Lord. They're busy during during this time, doing that kind of stuff. The the sound people, uh, the light people, the PowerPoint people, um, if you were to guess them to come up front, give them a microphone. They don't want any part of that. They're supporting people. They make the people on the stage look good. Just like the worship team, the people in the, kind of in the back row, playing back up, uh, they make the, the, the main people look good. Um, and so the, the key takeaway for today is this. <clears throat> Some of the strongest and most effective leaders in Christian ministry are men and women who are not up front, but who are operating behind the scenes. So today we're going to look at one of those people. We're going to look at Andrew. Andrew from the New Testament. And it's interesting that we would highlight one of the 12 disciples because you would think they would be upfront kind of guys. Um, As a matter of fact, Andrew himself was one of the four inner circle, Peter, James, John, and Andrew. They were the four inner circle with Jesus that he would take them aside sometimes. But... If you were to ask me uh, a couple weeks ago, what do you know about Andrew, Kirk? I would say, well, I think he was one of the 12, and not a whole lot more at that point. Um, I knew that there's a golf course in Scotland named St. Andrews, and I thought, well, if you went to St. Andrews Golf Course, and you were to go to the 18th hole, and you were to ask people as they exited the 18th hole uh, at St. Andrews Golf Course, they'd say, who is St. Andrew? Uh, I bet 2% would probably know who St. Andrew was. Uh, So, but once you dive in, like we're going to do here today, and you study and you learn about the kind of person that Andrew was, you realize he's a person like us. Um, His claim to fame is that he was Simon Peter's brother. That's his claim to fame. He operated in the shadows of his brother. Now, I can tell you a little bit about that. I've had a little experience like that myself. I have an older brother. His name is Brett. He's 14 years older than I am. When I, and he, when I was a kid, he went off to the Marine Corps. He, I don't know if he didn't pass his blood, te- or his, uh, blood pressure test or so he had some problem and he kind of faked his way, but he became a Marine. And when I was a kid, uh, 14 years younger than him, during the summer months, I wore two t-shirts. I would alternate till my mom would make me change. And one was Davy Crockett. The other was a T-shirt that said, My brother is a Marine. And I had a picture of a little Marine with his dress whites on because I was so proud 
of my brother Brett. Well, he got out of the Marines, he went to law school. So what did I think, what did I do? I'm going to law school because my brother went to law school. Um, he then began to practice law, and when I got out of law school, I began practicing with my brother. And then he became a judge. Yeah, and and uh, then I was always known as Brett Bodie's little brother. Brett Bodie's brother. They, they, they talked to me and said, hey, Kirk, how's Brett? Are you, uh, is, and, and they would go to, they would refer to me as Brett's younger brother. So I operated, much like Andrew did here, in the shadow of my brother for years and years and years. Um, now, it's interesting, he retired from the jud judgeship in, 19, in 2000, and so he's been kind of out of the loop. So he'll be places now, and they'll say, hey, are you Kirk Bodie's brother? Um, so the tables have kind of turned. Matter of fact, they'll say, are you Kirk Bodie's father? And that really bothers him. <laughs> so we're going to talk about Andrew, and Andrew is one of those characters that exemplifies what it means to be a supporting cast to accomplish God's purposes. And what we know that God can use minor players, minor players like us, all of us. He can use minor players to accomplish major things. So we're going to study today two occasions uh, where Andrew pops up and is highlighted in the Bible. The first one is this. This is where Andrew meets Jesus. And to kind of set the stage for this, and we're going to read the scripture. Andrew and his brother Peter, two brothers, they operated a fishing business around the lake called the Sea of Galilee. And so they were business businessmen, they were fishermen. And John the Baptist at this time, we, you know John the Baptist, the guy with that wore uh, funny clothes and ate locusts and things like that. He was preaching out in the desert um, and teaching about the kingdom of God. And John the Baptist developed the following. He was back then what we would call a rabbi. And rabbis had their disciples. John the Baptist was known as a rabbi. And he had his disciples that followed him around. And one of those disciples that was following him around was Andrew. Uh, and so we read this in John chapter 1. It says this. The next day John, that's John the Baptist, was there again with two of his disciples, one of which is Andrew. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? Interesting question. They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, Jesus said, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent the, that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Here we go. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him, Peter, and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated means Peter. So, a couple of noteworthy things about this encounter with Andrew and Jesus is this. John the Baptist, he's a supporting cast guy because he points to Jesus and says, behold the Lamb of God. He, doesn't, he gives up the limelight <clears throat> and is willing to hand it over to Jesus. And two of these men that are following, one of which is Andrew, they, they, start, they turn and they start to follow Jesus to kind of check him out to see what, what it is about this guy. Why did John call him the Lamb of God? 
And Jesus sees them and he says, what do you want? Interesting question. And they say, well, we want to know where you're staying. And Jesus says, come and you will see. So they spent the, that day together. Now, this is where my mind kind of goes wild. It's fascinating to think what happened in that house when Jesus and these two guys are in the house talking for the rest of that day. We, the Bible doesn't tell us what that is. But I wonder what the conversation was around that table with Jesus and these two guys. But we do know that this, after they were done for that day, <clears throat> hours spent apparently talking, the first thing that Andrew does, the first thing he does is he goes and finds his brother. And he tells his brother, we have found the Messiah. So that gives you a little clue what the conversation was. And then the next phrase in, the, in our passage is the crucial crux of the matter. It says, and he brought him to Jesus. That's Andrew. He gets Peter and he brings him to Jesus. So the lesson for this, in, from this incident for us is this. Andrew was the first of all the disciples to follow Jesus. He was the first disciple there, there was of Jesus. And he was responsible for introducing his more dominant brother, Peter. We know a lot about Peter. Peter's one of the major characters. It's Andrew that brought Peter to meet Jesus. So now let's look at encounter number two, which is what we call the feeding of the 5,000. That would be the chapter, the headline in your, in your Bible. It's in John chapter 6, 1 through 10. Now let me read it here. It says this, it says, Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because he saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we find, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? And it says this, he said he asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than a half year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to even have a bite. Another of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. So we know the rest of the story is Jesus takes this five loaves and two fish and somehow miraculously multiplies it to where everybody had a ton of food and there was a lot left over. Now, and also it's important to note that it says there were 5,000 men there. We call it the feeding of the 5,000. It really should be called feeding of the 5,000 plus because there were 5,000 men there and that meant if you take perhaps wives and children, there was, had to be upwards of 10,000 people there. Those were the odds with five small barley loaves and two small fish. So what, what's noteworthy about this feeding of the 5,000 plus? Andrew really is willing to pay, play second fiddle. First of all, as he's called Simon Peter's brother, kind of like I was called Brett Bodie's brother. He's called Simon Peter's brother. His name is Andrew, but he's called Simon Peter's brother. What's also curious about this incident is 
Jesus says, where are we going to buy food for all these people? Then it says this. It says, he asked this only to test him, Philip, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Now, we're going to come back to that, but it's fascinating that Jesus knew what he was going to do and yet asked Philip, what, what are we going to do? And talked to Andrew about that as well. So how is, what is Andrew's role here and how does it contrast with Philip? You know, Philip says this, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Kind of a whiny, complainy attitude, pessimistic at best. And so and Philip is kind of the glass half empty kind of guy. Um, who knows? Now, if you, if you look at the context of this feeding of the 5,000 plus, it says the Passover. It says the people came because they were seeing miracles. And that meant that Andrew and Philip and the other disciples had been following Jesus at this point about two years. We know miracles had taken place. How in the world did Philip not, after seeing Jesus perform miracles, how did he not believe Jesus could solve this problem? I don't know. A disappointment to Jesus, I'm sure. He says, I don't know how we're going to do it. Andrew is different. On a more pos- he's much more positive. He's a glass half full kind of guy. What Andrew does, not wine like Philip did, instead he finds a young guy, young lad with five loaves, small loaves of bread and two fish. And he brings him to Jesus. He's a possibility thinker kind of guy. He's the, what I call the who knows. Like who knows what Jesus is going to do, but, but we'll see. He never counts Jesus out. Andrew seemed to instinctively know that he was not wasting his time by offering such a paltry, small amount to Jesus. Because this, it says this, this is is a takeaway. It's not the greatness of the gift that counts, but rather the greatness of the God to whom it is given. Let me say that again. It's not the greatness of the gift that counts, but rather the greatness of the God to whom it was given. That's a reassurance for us. Sometimes we don't think we don't have a whole lot to offer. But in the hands of God, little things can become huge. So, Jesus is faced with 5,000 plus, probably 10,000 hungry people. It's a real problem. And he questions his disciples, where are we going to buy bread for all these people? You know, you look at it, did, did Jesus really not know what he was going to do. But then the, the, that answer is in the very next phrase where he says he, did, he knew what he was going to do, but he did this to test them. Now, we know Jesus could have, he got 10,000 hungry people, he could have just waved his hand like this and Grubhub would have appeared out of nowhere and suddenly everybody would have got all the food they ever wanted. He's God. He parted the Red Sea. What's feeding 10,000 people? He could have just waved his hand, said a word, food, and everything would appear miraculously. But he didn't do it that way. Instead, he invites his disciples into this miracle, to be part of the miracle. It was a test to see where their faith was at at this particular time in the journey. And they get two answers, one from Philip, pessimist, and the other from Andrew, more of an optimist. But what's important there is he didn't just wave his arms. He invited them into his mission. 
He invited them to be part of this miracle. And that's what, that's what Jesus does today for us. He could just solve problems right and left, and he could just, with a wave of the hand or a word from his mouth, could solve problems. But he invites us to be part of his journey. He wants to use each and every person to accomplish what he wants to accomplish here. You know, there's an old song by Casting Crowns. And I love it. It's on my, I got it up on my wall in my study. And it says this, How refreshing to know you don't need me. How amazing to find that you want me. And here's what that means to me. How refreshing to know you don't need me. God doesn't need me. He can accomplish what he wants without me. But it's amazing to find that he wants to use me and use each person here to accomplish what he wants. We get a chance to be part of God's mission, to be used by him wherever that may be. It's an incredible adventure that he invites us in. So Philip says, no way, and Andrew says, way. And he says, all I got is five small loaves and two fish. But you know, we, we, as we look at ourselves soberly, we, don't, we often think, what do I have to offer God? I'm not a great teacher, speaker, writer. I don't have a lot of money. I, what do I have? Um, we sometimes think, I wasn't there when God passed out gifts or talents. He must have overlooked me. But that's where Andrew was. Andrew says, like the song, we bring everything to the feet of Jesus. He brings these five loaves of barley and two small fish and says, I don't know what you're going to do, but who knows? And God used the little that Andrew had and Andrew's faith, and he fed all these people. And God can use what we can offer him, as paltry as we may think it is. He, he invites us to be part of his mission. Now, I want to make a comment. Let me pause at this time to comment on recent events here at New Life. Um, you know, given, given what's going on here at New Life, um, especially here at New Life Washington, no doubt there's lots of different reactions that each of us might have. It could include anxiety, uh, fear, uh, uncertainty about the future, maybe even anger or hopelessness, hurt. And these are all valid feelings and very understandable. But maybe the question is, how should we respond to those feelings? How should we behave as we move forward? And so maybe our text today about Andrew could offer some lessons. If we look at the situation facing Jesus on this mountainside with 10,000 hungry people, things seemed overwhelming. To Jesus, perhaps, but certainly to Philip and Andrew. Things seemed overwhelming. They had a real problem on their hands. The odds were seven small items of food and 10,000 hungry people. The odds were stacked against them, incredibly. The situation they were facing was confusing, sounds familiar, uncertain, and perhaps hopeless. And so, as we face uncertain futures here at New Life, we could share in the reaction of Philip, if we wanted to, and see the problem before us as insurmountable, and we could be whiny, like Philip was, uh, and think it's, even, it's too big, even for Jesus. Philip should have known better. Where was his faith at? Where's our faith at? We could take a half-empty attitude like Philip did. 
But maybe we could take a page out of Andrew's narrative and respond the way Andrew responded. It's what I call the who knows attitude. You just bring it to the feet of Jesus. You just bring the issue and the problem and the dilemma to the feet of Jesus and give it to him because who knows? Who knows what God will do? You know, Andrew had been following Jesus for at least two years and had clearly seen him perform miracles. And like Andrew, we here at New Life have seen God do wonderful, under, and we don't understand what he does sometimes, miraculous things that he's done here. You know, I've been at New Life since the inception. Uh, served as an elder for 30-some years. And our history at New Life is replete with wow moments. Times when we didn't understand what was going on, problems were there, who knows what's, what the future holds. But I know this, God has been faithful to New Life, and He will continue to be faithful to New Life. He won't fail us. Andrew brings a little boy and five loaves and two fish with an attitude as, hey, I don't know the solution, but I'll bring what little I have and give it to Jesus, and who knows what He'll do. So maybe we need to, and I'm talking to myself too, maybe we need to put away feelings of negativity, uh, pessimism, uh, doubt, hurt, and bring what we can. Turn on the solution side of things and bring our time and abilities and look to God and say, here's what I have, God. I'm ready to help, but I don't know how far it's going to go, but I know in the hands of God it can go a long way. And then step back and see what God can do. Now, I've got two important takeaways from our Andrew story here as we wrap things up. First of all, if we look at Andrew and, and uh, his, his brother, Peter, let's debunk the myth that sharing your faith is difficult. It's a lie. Let's take a lesson from Andrew, okay? Here's Andrew's method of evangelism, of sharing his faith. He said, it's this. We found the Messiah. Come and see. That's it. Get people to encounter Jesus and then step back and get out of the way and let Jesus take over from there. He comes to Peter and says, we found the Messiah. Just like he comes to Jesus and says, I got this little boy here with some bread and fish. And then step back and let God do his thing. Let God take what little we have to offer. God took Peter. God took the fish and loaves and did amazing things. Sometimes the most effective and important aspect of sharing your faith is on a very personal level. You know, people, people in this room and people we know typically come to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ not because of a big crusade, perhaps, or not because of a television show, but it's usually because some person came to them and said, I found the Messiah, come and see. A one-on-one -on -one relationship. The invitational kind of method. Come and see. And we bring people to Jesus and step back. Never underestimate the value of befriending just one person and bringing him or her to meet Jesus and let God take it from there. The second lesson takeaway is this. We're going to talk about the humility of being a support person. You know, 
We need to take an attitude of being a support person. We need to make other people look good. Andrew was willing to live in his big brother's shadow. You know, unlike Peter, Andrew never preached to a crowd or stirred the masses of people like his brother Philip did. But remember, it was Andrew who introduced Peter to Christ. Now, you've heard this before, but I love the story of a guy named Edward Kimball. I've read it before, but let me read it again. It says, it was the year 1858 in the city of Boston. Edward Kimball was a young Sunday school teacher who made it a habit to personally give each student in his class an opportunity to accept Christ as their Savior. He was concerned about one of his students who worked in a shoe store. One day, Kimball visited the young man at the store where he found him in the back stocking shelves. And there, he led him to Christ. That student was Dwight L. Moody who eventually left the shoe business to become one of the greatest evangelists of all time. See, most people know Dwight Moody, Moody Bible Institute, Moody Publishing, but they don't know that behind Dwight Moody stands a guy named Edward Kimball. So in the sovereign providence of God, Andrew's act of faithfulness in bringing his brother to Christ was an individual act that led to the conversion of a man who would preach that great sermon at Pentecost in Acts that resulted in over 3,000 people turning their lives over to Christ. Can you can imagine what it was like at Pentecost? Here's Peter preaching, 3,000 people come to Christ, and over to the side, sitting in a chair or on the floor or on the ground, is Andrew. Can you imagine the pride that wells up in Andrew, knowing that, that's my brother. I led him to the Lord. And look what he's doing for God. Andrew's a spiritual grandfather. He's the father, spiritual father, but he's a spiritual grandfather of many, many people because it was Andrew who brought Peter to meet Jesus. So that brings us kind of back to the takeaway from the start. Let me read it again. Some of the strongest and most effective leaders in Christian ministry are men and women who are not up front, but who are operating behind the scenes, kind of like Andrew. You know, as far as we know, Andrew never preached to multitudes or founded any churches. He never wrote a book of the Bible like his brother did. He isn't even mentioned in the book of Acts or in any of the other books in the New Testament other than the Gospels. But thank God for people like Andrew. They're the quiet individuals laboring selfishly behind the scenes, giving insignificant sacrificial gifts by just bringing people to encounter Jesus and let, letting Jesus take it over from there. They don't want much recognition. They don't receive it. They don't want it. But what they want to hear one day is when the Lord says, well done, Andrew, well done. 